let's go back and start out, praise God, this first, um, the first scripture in this new teaching is one of the scriptures from last week. It's very important. I want you to take the time to turn there in your Bibles. Romans chapter 5, verse 19. We use this scripture a lot. This, the whole gospel is in this scripture. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. So again, I emphasized last week, you're not a sinner because you sinned. You're not a sinner because you sin. No, we sin because we had the nature of sin, Adam, inside of us. And what's inside of you will come out. The seed reproduces its own kind. Everything God created has its seed in itself. An, an oak tree will reproduce other oak trees. Okay? A dog will reproduce dogs. A cat will reproduce cats. And a sinful man will reproduce other sinful men. By one man's disobedience, Adam, that nature corrupted every man alive until Jesus came not from man but from God. Okay? So by the sin of Adam, everyone was made a sinner. But praise God, the good news is, the second part of that verse, by one man's obedience, the many are made righteous. So church, we must understand, in the same way that you're not a sinner because you sinned, you're a sinner because one man sinned, I'm not righteous because I do right, I'm righteous because one man did right. That's what it says, look at it. By one man's obedience, the many are made righteous. So I have been made righteous, not by what I have done. I have been made righteous by what he has done for me. It's like he purchased the ticket and gave it to me as a gift. I can't add to it. I can't purchase it myself by my own works. Okay? I had to receive it by faith in what he did. So that's an all-important verse, Romans 5.19, praise God. And I want to tell you that we're going to be looking at a lesson that God um, demonstrated the truth of this verse in the Old Testament, and he demonstrated it in the geography of the land of Israel. He created the land of Israel in such a way that if you study it and look at it like we're going to, to, going to do tonight, you will see Romans 5.19 acted out. It's amazing. Everything, you know, some folks don't understand. They think that this thing uh, contradicts itself. No, it gels together so clearly. You just got to open your eyes to what the Spirit is saying. Amen. It's amazing. Praise God. Now, let's talk about the first and the last Adam, how Paul puts it in Corinthians. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Verse 21 says clearly here, For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. Okay? For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Keep that theme in your mind right now. The first Adam and the last Adam, okay? And then it goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 15, look at verse 45. So it is written, the first Adam became a living being, the last Adam a life-giving spirit. 
The spiritual did not come first, but the natural. After that, the spiritual. The first man was the dust of the earth, the second man from heaven. Verse 48. As was the earthly man, a sinner, fallen with a sin nature, so are those who are of the earth. Okay? But the best part is, and as is the man from heaven, Jesus, so also are those who are of heaven. That's us. So also are those. As he is, Christ, so are we in this world. We were in Adam a sinner. We were born again, and now we've received the righteousness of Christ. Now we're not of the earth. We're of the heavenly kingdom, and that's who we are as a church. We're like Christ in this earth. The righteousness of God is now inside of you, and that's who you are. Amen? Amen? Praise God. Now, we do have this wonderful treasure of his holiness and righteousness in this earthen vessel that still lives in this fallen world. And there's some struggle with that. But praise God, I'm saying you can overcome the struggle by realizing and renewing your mind to the truth of who you are rather than always, you know, being condemned for the truth of who you were before you were born again. Are you with me? Praise God. So these verses are very clear. But it needs to be re-explained again to the body of Christ around the world. Hallelujah. Now let's go to the Old Testament and see how God demonstrated this truth in the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 3. Joshua 3. Starting in verse 1. And then we'll give you a little background on this story. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. Okay? Let's just picture this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let him put a map up on the screen there. The map of Israel that shows uh, the Jordan River. Okay. Now, if you look to the north of Israel, you have the Sea of Galilee. To the south, you have the Dead Sea. And it flows the Jordan River all the way through. God is going to use this geography and demonstrate Romans 5.19 to you. He wrote it years before Paul wrote Romans 5.19. Okay? But yet it's so clear. Now, the Israelites, at the time of Joshua chapter 3, had been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. You remember the story? Praise God. They uh, were in bondage in Egypt for 400 years. God raised up the deliverer Moses. He came to Pharaoh. There was 10 plagues. Then, praise God, you had the Passover. The lamb was slain. Hallelujah, Jesus Christ. The blood was applied and death passed over. Now all of Egypt says, hey, Israelites, go. We want you to leave. They packed up and they left. They got to the, uh, the Red Sea, and there the Pharaoh sent his chariots. We're going to try to slaughter them. Moses held up the staff. The Red Sea split open. Remember the picture. Amen? Amen. Anybody seen the movie? Oh, all right. Hallelujah. Well, the Red Sea splits open. They go across. They were supposed to go straight from there to Mount Sinai. They went to Mount Sinai to get the law of the covenant. They received the law, but before, as I said last week, before he can get down from the mountain, they had already sinned. Why? Because they still had a sin nature. 
They saw the miracles of God. They saw how awesome and holy he was, but they couldn't help but sin because it was their nature. They're going to do, you know, what's inside of them. Okay? So the sin came out. The law comes down the mountain. The law doesn't help them with their sin. The law doesn't fix their sin. All the law does was condemn them for their sin and give the sentence of death. Okay? But yet all these Israelites agreed to the law. It says you're blessed if you keep all of them and you're cursed if you break them. And it lists all the blessings and curses. And they agreed to the covenant and said, hey, we will do it even though they really could not. You see, you're blessed if you keep all of the law. But if you break one of the laws, all the curses come upon you by breaking one of the laws. Okay? So it's a covenant of righteousness, holiness. God is holy. But the law was showing them they couldn't do it because of what was inside of them. So they received the law on Mount Sinai. They're supposed to take it and carry it into the promised land, the land of Israel. But they were afraid to go in. Ten spies said, hey, it's no good. There's giants in the land. Two spies, Joshua and Caleb, said, hey, we can take the land. God is with us. But the people, more, um, the people complained and grumbled, hey, we can't go in, so we know what happened, the story. God said, okay, you don't think you can make it? You don't trust me to take you from where you are to where I want you? You don't believe me? Well, you will just wander around right where you are, you know? You can come into this program and leave out and do your own thing. Don't believe God's going to heal you, save you, deliver you, and you can wander around and have your own way. He won't make you follow him. He won't make you go to the promised land. He won't make you walk in the victory. You can continue to wonder. So they chose not to go in. He said, okay, have it your way. You will wander in this wilderness till all of you die. And after you die, I'll bring the next generation in. And here we are at Joshua 3, 40 years later, and it's time for the next generation to go in. Okay, so they're here. They're at the Jordan River, they're on this side, and they're about to cross into the Promised Land. They're going to cross about at the town of Jericho, because if you remember the story, Jericho is the first battle they fight when they go in, okay? They had to go in the land, and they had to fight the battles with Christ, with God, with them, and take over all of the land. They had to possess it, okay? So they're there and about to cross in Joshua 3. They're encamped on this side. And church, I want you to say, know that there's about 2 million people camped there. About 2 million. Their flocks, their herds. It's amazing that God was able to feed them, take care of them. He's a mighty God. Do you think um, 2 million people in a desert right now? what it would take to try to feed them, clothe them, and give them water, food and water for one day? Think about it. It would take literally a train full of rail cars, full of food and water every day to take care of two million people. And yet, God fed them and took care of them every day. Manna came down from the sky. 
Manna bred from heaven. Water came from a rock. Do you know Moses went out and he hit that rock and water came out and it, and it took care of all of them every day. In the book of Hebrews, it says the water, the rock that followed them through the desert was Christ. Jesus Christ was in the desert with them as the rock. That same rock, praise God, where the, the water came out of him and was a, a river of life to them. On the cross, he was hanging there. And praise God, they shoved a spear in his side and water and blood came out. And that same water is flowing right now today. It's the river of living water. It's the water of life. And it's coming right out of me right now. Hallelujah. You see, it's physical in the Old Testament. It's spiritual in the New. But everything in the old that's physical points to something spiritual in the new. Are you with me? So praise God, there they were, camped there on this side of Jericho. They're about to cross over, but there's a problem, the Bible says. Go with me now. Let's look um, all the way to, uh, to verse 12. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel. It says, and as soon as the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, I'm in verse 13 now, set their foot in the Jordan, the waters flowing from downstream will be cut off and pile up in a heap. Here's what happened. The water at the time in the Jordan River was at flood stage. You see, once a, once a year, there's a monsoon season in Israel, and waters come trickling down. You can go back to the map there. Waters come trickling down from everywhere, flow into the Jordan, and now the Jordan is at flood stage. I want to tell you about five years ago, our Fresh Start director, Mr. Clay Russell, and I were on a tour of Israel, and we're at this very spot on this map next to Jericho, and we're standing at the Jordan River. When we were standing there... That little muddy river was about from here to that wall wide. And I'm standing there with a group of pastors, and I start to teach, because each place we went, different pastors taught, I started to teach this lesson that I'm teaching to you to that group of pastors. And we're looking at the Jordan, and we're looking at the very spot where the Israelites crossed. And you know what? It was, uh, I don't know, four, five, six feet deep. You know, I figure two million people could probably cross it like that. You know, it might be kind of tough with all their flocks and herds and everything. But the Bible says at this time, the water was at flood stage. So when they were there, it wasn't from here to that wall. The river was four times as wide, four times as deep, and four times as fast. It was a flooding, rushing river. It was at a, a flood stage. We've seen rivers around here when they get to flood stage. And they could not cross. And now they're wondering. You know, Moses had gone on to be with the Lord. He commissioned Joshua now to lead them. You know, the two spies that said we can make it, Joshua and Caleb, were the only ones of that former generation left that were going to go in. They believed God, so he was letting them go in. Everybody else was the next generation. So now Joshua is the leader, and they're looking to Joshua and say, Joshua, what are we going to do? Hey, why don't you do what we heard you know, our fathers say that Moses did? Stretch out your staff, and let's see this bug, you know, let's see this river split wide open, okay? Like Moses did. Well, Joshua had a plan, too. God showed him, take the Ark of the Covenant. Have the priests from the tribe of Levites 
pick up the ark and step into the water, and I'm going to stop the water flowing upstream. So I'm doing things new. I'm doing things a little different. I'm not going to do it the way Moses did and split the sea. I'm going to stop the sea from flowing upstream. Now let me give you, there's a picture of the Ark of the Covenant. I'm going to talk about its contents in just a minute. Go back to the map one more time. Now let me give you a little geography of the land. The Sea of Galilee is about the highest point north of Israel. Above the Sea of Galilee, you have the uh, Lebanon and the mountains of Syria. You have the Golan Heights of Syria. Water comes trickling down those mountains, flows into the Sea of Galilee. And the Sea of Galilee is full of fish and living creatures everywhere. There are the fishermen for centuries fish that. This is where Jesus shows his disciples. Hey, we were on the Sea of Galilee. We took a boat. We went across. Praise God, you know. We saw it. We went to Capernaum. We saw this Sea of Galilee. It's still full of life. There's still many fishermen on the sea, all right? And so it's a picture of the life of God. That Sea of Galilee is a picture, a type, a shadow of the life of God. But it flows down the Jordan River. In Hebrew, the word Jordan, they don't pronounce their J's, it's with a Y, it's Yarden, and it means to descend, to go down. It is as though God took his finger and cut that river down, and as he went, he went down deeper and deeper to the south, but also deeper and deeper into the earth. So by the time Clay and I took that tour bus all the way down the Jordan, and we arrived at the Dead Sea, when we were standing on the banks of the Dead Sea in the south of Israel, we were standing at the lowest point on earth. True. True geography. I'm not talking about the lowest point in the ocean, Mariana's Trench. I'm talking about the lowest point on dry land. Many of you can relate to this here in Louisiana. We know that we're flat and we're pretty much right at sea level. And you get down to New Orleans and they're below sea level. Thus, they had so much trouble with uh, Katrina. All right. Well, here in Israel at the Dead Sea, it's not just at sea level, level or a few feet below. It's many meters down below sea level. Matter of fact, it's so low, if you go in the middle of the Dead Sea, you're so deep in the bottom of the earth that so many minerals and salt comes up from the earth that nothing can live there. Hence the name. It's dead. There's not one fish in the Dead Sea. There's not an amoeba. There's no plankton. There's nothing. Gro it's a beautiful sea. It's a, you know, from the mountains there, you look across, it has a turquoise color. It's beautiful. There's um, some places around and resorts around. You can go there and people big dig up the mud and put it all over them. They dig up that mud and sell it at the mall up here for ladies' skin. It's so full of minerals, you know. Praise the Lord. So it's, it's and you can get in that water. And hey, I was a... Uh, I was a water safety instructor and lifeguard in, in Florida growing up. And, you know, we used to teach swim lessons. But you can go into the Dead Sea and you can float like this with your feet up and your head up reading the paper. I would never teach somebody to float with their feet and their head up. You'll sink like a rock. But in that sea, it's so thick with minerals, you can't sink. It's amazing. You know, and, uh, but there's a problem with it. You know, they told us on the tour, they said, hey, go into the Dead Sea, but don't dive in. Don't go under. 
one of the pastors wasn't really listening at that point. Young guy full of zeal, he got off that bus, went running into the Dead Sea, ran full speed, dove in, came up screaming. His eyes were just burning. Had to put ice on his eyes for a couple of days to cool it off. We went into the water, but we kept our head above. You see, it's full of salt. It's full of minerals. It'll burn your eyes. It'll burn any cuts that you have on, and nothing can live there. Guys, why did God do this? What is this? Folks, it's a picture from the light. There's somebody just floating in it. It's a picture. Hey, man, look. He's got the mud bath with the minerals on him. He's floating. He's reading the paper with his feet up. That's not the right way to try to float. But in the Dead Sea, you can float that way. So, looking again at the map, it is a picture from the life of God, from the life of God. Now, mankind's flowing from the life of God down, 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 all the way to death. And at the Dead Sea, there's no overflow, there's no outlets flow into the ocean. Most bodies of water eventually work their way to the ocean. The Dead Sea does not. It dries up there. There's no outlet. There's no, there's no escape from hell. It's a picture of the life of God, and it's a picture of death and hell in the grave right there. So we can see this in the Jordan, Yarden, the river that descends down. Now, the Bible says, so what are we going to do? How are we going to cross this, this flowing, flooded uh, river to cross into the promised land? And Moses says, tell the Levites, tell the priests to take the ark and step into the river. And God's going to do something miraculous. Stop it. Well, guys, we need to pause right here for just a moment and look a little teaching about the ark. What's going to happen here? Flip the page. And I have a teaching on the Ark of the Covenant. I'm just going to review this quickly for you. But in Exodus 25, the Bible says, and told, told, God told Moses to have your, have your craftsmen build an ark, an ark or a box. And they told him exactly how to make it, just like they told him exactly how to make the tabernacle in the wilderness. This box is going to be about four feet long. This box is going to be about two and a half feet wide, two and a half feet tall. I want you to make the box out of this pure acacia wood. And I want you to cover that wood and inlay it with gold. I want to tell you something right now. Everything in the Old Testament is pointing to Christ. And even the ark itself is a picture, a type and shadow of Jesus himself. You see, Jesus was the son of man. That wood symbolized Christ's humanity. If you're taking notes on this subject right now, you can write these things down about the Ark of the Covenant. Praise God, the wood symbolized his humanity. Then it was overlaid in gold. The gold symbolized Christ's deity. Now, God told Moses, I want you to put three things inside of the Ark. Three things inside of the Ark. Number one, I want you to put the book of the law. Take the law and put it inside of the Ark then I have this verse written down for you. You can go back and check me out on it. It says this, put it in the ark as a testimony or a witness against you. Let's pause and let that sink in. Put the law inside the box as a testimony against man. I'm emphasizing to you again, the law is not for you. 
It is against you. It stands opposed to you. For sinful man, it doesn't help you. It condemns you. It's the ministry of death. It's the ministry, Corinthians called it, the ministry of condemnation. Colossians calls it the ministry that is opposed to you, that stood against you. I want you to take the book of the law and put it inside the ark. The second thing I want you to put inside of it, I want you to take a jar of manna. For 40 years, I rained down bread from heaven. When the Jews first saw it and they went to pick it up, you know what they said? Same thing you would say. What is it? In Hebrew, what is it is? Manna. Manna. So they called it manna. They called it, what is it? And then they ate it every day. And they had to go out by faith and pick just enough, pick enough off the ground just for that day. If they picked too much for the next day, not believing in faith for the next day, it would rot on them. Okay? So yet, although God fed them in the wilderness with this, do you know they grumbled and complained? Wow. Pastor, here's the point where I teach these news guys at a fresh start. Don't grumble and complain what you get at the kitchen. They'd be like the Israelites grumbling over the manna. You'd be thankful for the kitchen workers there and thank them, okay? No whining, right? Amen? amen. Praise God, I got one amen on that deal. Amen. So, they put the manna inside as a testimony against man for complaining about my provision. Number three, the third thing I want you to put inside the ark is take Aaron's staff that budded and put it inside the ark as a testimony of man's grumbling against my appointed authority. You see, if you remember the story, the 12 tribes of Israel started to complain. They were saying, hey, why are we always listening to Moses and Aaron? And Miriam, why are they leading? Why are, why are you know, just the Levites leading? We want somebody from my tribe to lead. We want somebody from my town. We want somebody from my people to, to lead. And, they, and God said, okay, let's just see. Choose a man from each one of your tribes and let him bring his staff and lay it before the tabernacle, lay it before the Ark of the Covenant. And do you know the next morning they got up with 12 pieces of 12 sticks laying there? And Aaron's stick had turned to life, had produced leaves and flowers and almonds. Now, and it stayed that way. God said, take this staff and put it inside the ark. Now, church, let's think about something. We got three things inside the ark. Let me tell you spiritually what they are. You have every single type of mankind's sin against God now inside the box. You have one man's rebellion against God's law or his word. Number two, you have man's rebellion against God's provision. Always coveting something for more. Always complaining about what you have, not being content and wanting something else. Man's rebellion against his provision for you. And number three, you have man's rebellion against God's appointed leadership praise God he wants you to have a pastor he wants you to have leadership he wants you to have folks holding accountable he wants you to have a group meeting together he wants us to work together and but yet some men rebel I'm gonna be my own God I'm gonna be my own Lord nobody's telling me what to do 
Mankind's rebellion against authority. So here you have every type of man's sin inside this box. Oh, let me tell you the good news. Do you know what God chooses to cover the box with? He said, make a pure slab of pure gold, and I want you to call it the atonement cover. In other words, the mercy seat. And I want you to cover all of mankind's sin that you put inside the body of Christ. The wood is Jesus' humanity. The gold is Jesus' deity. Put man's sin inside the box of Christ and cover it with my mercy. Aren't you glad? He didn't make a cover of iron and call it the judgment cover. No, he made a cover of pure gold, meaning it's coming straight from God, and cover all of man's sin with mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Glory to God. Now, that cover, praise God, if you look at it right here, it had two cherubim. It had the angels up above it. This was the ark. It was carried on poles by uh, the shoulders of the priests. And inside that box was man's sin. It was covered with mercy. And don't you know, they had a tabernacle in the wilderness. They had a temple in Jerusalem. Hey, if you can pull that picture of that tabernacle, let's talk about it for a moment. Hallelujah. This is a model of what they built when they left Egypt. They're on the way to the promised land, and they had to organize two million people. And here's how they organized. God showed Moses exactly how his craftsmen were to build this tabernacle. And here's they had an outer court. You had the, the altar where they had sacrifices. You had the big laver where they washed. Then you had the holy place there. Well, inside that tent, in the furthest place back, you had another big curtain, and behind that curtain was one thing and one thing only. It was the Ark of the Covenant. And in that Ark of the Covenant, man's rebellion was in it. God's mercy was over it. And between those cherubim, here's where God chose to meet with his people. As a matter of fact, it looked like this. They knew exactly how to set up this tabernacle. The Levites in charge... They, each person had a specific job. Wherever they went, watch this. Above that tabernacle, you see that smoke? There was a cloud of God's glory that would cover right on top of the ark. You see, God met with them right over the ark. He meets with you, praise God, right where his mercy covers your sin. Amen? Where God can come to you again. Well, praise God, his, his glory was shining right there. And here's what happened. They would camp there. There would be three tribes to the north side of the tabernacle. The same three tribes every time to the north. Three tribes to the south, three to the east, and three to the west. Praise the Lord. And the Levites were right all around it. So here they were. And when they see the cloud lift... They would say, hey guys, it's time to go. Pack up your tents. Every family would start packing up his tent. The Levites start packing up the tabernacle. They would carry it. They would pick up the ark and they would follow the cloud and they would follow with the tabernacle. Then every tribe in line and they would follow that cloud. And when the cloud stopped, Moses said, okay boys, here's where we're camping. And they'd set up camp and they might stay there a month. They might stay there two years, three years, five years, or three months down the road. And they wandered in the wilderness following the cloud by day and the fire by night. 
Are you with me? So here's the place where God met with his people. Where? Over the Ark of the Covenant in the holiest of holy place. No one can go in there except Moses. Moses would come out. His face would be radiating with the glory. And he would speak to the people what God has spoken to him. He had to cover his face with a veil. Man was still sinful and God was holy. And that glory was too much for them. And then the glory would fade and he could take off the veil. You know, So here we are, praise the Lord, in uh, the ark. Now let me tell you something, praise God, about this ark. Hallelujah. The Bible says, Jesus Christ, years later, was hanging on the cross. The Bible says, it's in your notes, that he who knew no sin became sin. In other words, the three types of sin that went inside the box, your rebellion against God's word, our rebellion against God's provision, and our rebellion against God's appointed leadership, all of that went into the box of Jesus' body. Praise the Lord. And then the blood, once a year, the blood would go into the Holy of Holies and be applied on top of the mercy seat. Praise God, the blood of Jesus Christ came to wash that sin away, hallelujah, and He took the blood and applied it on the real tabernacle in heaven once and for all. Are you with me? Amen? So Jesus, praise God, it's a type and a shadow. That Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament is Christ in the New. He took their sin. Now what is he saying? Joshua is saying, I want you to take the Ark. I want you to take Christ. I want you to take the place where God and man meets and step into this swollen, rushing river and stand there with the Ark and see what God's going to do. Remember, they're about to cross the Jordan River. They're about to cross from wandering in the wilderness where Mount Sinai, the law is, where they were under that law. They're about to cross from the wilderness to the promised land. They're about to cross from Mount Sinai to Mount Zion. They're about to cross from old covenant law into future new covenant grace. Are you with me? Hallelujah. Now... Let's go back to the story. Praise the Lord. Joshua chapter 3, verse 14. Glory to God. I'll let you turn there, look at it a minute. The Bible says, So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Verse 15. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during the harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge. Verse 16. The water from upstream stopped flowing. Put the map back up there. And let me show you something. It doesn't say right there across from Jericho where Clay and I were standing at the Jordan that the ark stepped in there and the water stopped right there. No, the Bible says the water stopped way upstream. 
As a matter of fact, if we go on it and read, it says the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away. Wow. I started looking this up and figuring it out. Praise God, we've been there. I found out that it, it piled up in a great heap about 19 miles to the north. So if you're looking at the map, praise God, and you see the Sea of Galilee, and you see the Jericho, when they stepped in that water right in front of Jericho, it stopped flowing way up closer to the Sea of Galilee. Well, if anybody ever been whitewater rafting or, you know, on a river like that and they dam the river, you know if they dam it up here and release it, it takes it a little while downstream 19 miles before it has an effect. That water comes rushing for a long way. Well, let me tell you what's happening. There's two million people on the side of the desert there by the mountain and they're looking down and they're wondering, hey, Joshua, you know, your plan to send the priests in there. They've been standing there for a while, Joshua. We hadn't seen anything happen yet. What's going on? Why don't you do like Moses and stretch your staff and make this thing split? Hmm, Joshua, are you really as good as leader as Moses? Maybe we should try to follow someone else. Maybe this plan isn't working. Some begin to doubt. Some begin to wonder. But let me tell you something. Maybe you're praying about something in your life. Maybe God's given you a vision in a future, something going on, and maybe you don't see the answer right away, but I want to tell you something. Praise God. Hang on. You could be standing in the middle of a miracle. The miracle's already happened, and it's on its way. Amen. He just wants you to stand in your faith. Amen? There's currents flowing around. You don't see the water going down yet, but God said as soon as they stepped in, the water did stop flowing. It only stopped flowing 19 miles north, and you don't see it yet. Let it be a word for somebody in here tonight. What you're hanging on to. Now, the most interesting part of the story and why this is one of my favorite messages is about one word coming next. The Bible says, the water stopped flowing a great distance away at a certain town with a certain name. What town was it? Wow. You know, everything in the Bible has a meaning and a purpose. He didn't just randomly throw out this name, Adam. It could have been at a town called Samson or at a town called David. Why did the water stop flowing? Back to the map. Why did the water stop flowing a great distance away at a certain town and all the way up there Close to the Sea of Galilee, there was a little town called Adam, mankind, the beginning of mankind. Don't you see now, church? Look at the map closely with your heart. From the life of God, the Sea of Galilee, God created Adam. But Adam fell into sin, and from Adam, the river descends down down, down to the depths of humanity, to the depths of the earth, to the depths of sin, and ends up at the Dead Sea in death and in hell. From Adam, 
By one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. From Adam, you have his seed. Cain and Abel, sin came out. The next seed and the next. India, China, Africa, U.S., every race, every people, all mankind that is in Adam is on its way to death and hell and there is no escape. Quiet in here. From the life of God, through Adam, one man's disobedience, everyone after him has the sin nature, and God is holy, and that's a serious problem. But praise God, that's not the end of the story. The Bible says the Ark of the Covenant, carried by the priests, stepped into the water, hallelujah, and the water stopped flowing a great distance away. It piled up in a heap. And after a while, it went down, down, down. And now it's not flowing at all anymore. And it dries up. And now two million people that were from the law are now crossing in. How are they crossing? They're crossing because of the ark. They're crossing over through Jesus Christ. I'm telling you something, church. When the ark stepped in, it was a picture of the cross of Calvary. Jesus' cross fell over that river and they crossed on the cross. They crossed on Christ. Church, by one man's disobedience, in Adam all die. But Jesus came to His own. His own believed Him not. But to all who believe in Him, He gives you the right to become children not born of a human decision, not born of a Father's will, not born of the bloodline of natural mankind. But if you believe in Christ who went over the river, you have the right to become born again in Christ and not in Adam. You become born again as He is. He is without sin. He is holy. And if you believe in Him, He gives you the gift of righteousness. And if any man be in Christ, you are a new creation. The old things from Adam are gone and all things has become new. Wow. Man. Can I get a few volunteers up front? Come on. Come on, fellas. Come on up here. Give me some guys up here. Wow. I want to demonstrate this to you. Just stand in the back right here. I'm going to take you one at a time. Yeah, you guys get out of the way so they can see. Watch this. Here's Adam. God breathed his life into him. He was right and holy with God. Walked in the garden, gave you dominion, your seed, holy, righteous, going to have dominion. I want you to take this conduit from heaven to earth, the Garden of Eden. And I've blessed you and blessed it. I want you to take this blessing and fill the whole earth. You're in charge. Well, it's okay, man. It's just an illustration. Satan comes, deceives mankind, and he falls, and his nature is changed. Now he's a sinner by one man's disobedience. Now his nature is of sin. He has a child, Cain, Abel, and many others. Well, inside of Cain, y'all stand facing straight this way. You're in a line. Thank you. Inside of Cain is the seed of Adam. See, God created everything with its seed inside itself. The seed can only reproduce its own kind. 
Okay? Evolution is disproven. You don't change from one species into another. One species multiplies into its own species. Hello? An apple tree reproduces apples, not oranges. Okay? God's way, his natural design, praise God, was the seed reproduces itself. Well, the seed of Adam is now reproducing sin, so much so that Cain kills Abel. Man, that sin came out. It kept on going, rocking along so much. I need a few more fellows up here. Now, sin got so bad after a few generations that the earth and the inclination of man's heart is only on evil. It's full of violence, rape, murder. It's just, it's just terrible. And the sin, the nature in him, is now manifesting in what? Outward sin. Okay? But the outward sin that's happening isn't the real problem. It's not the outward sin that's happening. It's the nature that's inside of him. So God sends a flood and wipes out all the outward sin. But guess what? Noah lives another 300 years after the flood. And you know what comes out of Noah? More mankind, more people, more people. And before Noah dies, he looks around the earth and it's full of sin again. God, what happened? Hey, Noah, I'm taking my time to teach mankind a deep lesson. You see, I'm not so much concerned with the outward sins. I want to get to the root of the problem on the inside, the sin nature. So he chooses another man. He says, Abram, come with me. I'm going to make a covenant with you. And out of you, all nations are going to be blessed. And Abraham has Isaac, and Isaac has Jacob, and Jacob has 12 sons, the 12 tribes of Israel. And the rest of the Old Testament is the history of Israel. But it's really about all the times they keep falling. Why do they keep falling? God, who comes to their rescue, who wipes out their enemy, who raises them up and makes them a great nation, and they have peace on all sides. And then the next chapter, they fall again. Why? They can't help it. Because the nature of Adam is inside them. Do you see? This thing, so it keeps on rocking. Now let me tell you, I don't want to confuse you here. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Noah, all these folks... Praise God, even though they're in this line, in this demonstration, I'm talking about all the people that came from them. Hey, they got saved by believing in the Word of God. They were looking forward to the Word that was coming. Amen? Praise God. But in this natural line, all mankind, from Adam, look at the picture of the Sea of Galilee, from Adam, all mankind, and every race, and every people group, and every nation was on its way to the Dead Sea. And it kept on rocking along. Until in the fullness of time, in the fullness of time, God had a plan to work it. He brought in a man, praise God, he took his own word, the word that created heaven and earth, and he planted his word in the womb of a virgin named Mary. And Jesus was born right here. Jesus wasn't in this line. He didn't come from his father, Joseph. He came from God. Jesus steps out of this line. He comes to this earth, praise the Lord, but he becomes one of us. But he doesn't have the sin nature. He has the divine nature. Then he takes the covenant. He fulfills the covenant. Because if you break one part of the law, you have to die. You have to be split in two. Like in, in, in um, Genesis 12, praise God, in Genesis 15, if you look at the story of Abraham, he passed through that covenant. He was sleeping as Jesus passed through with God. And if you break the covenant, you're going to become like one of these dead animals that's laying to the side. You know, and if you keep my covenant, you'll be blessed. Mankind could not keep the covenant. So he sent one who could. Only we broke the covenant. So he became one of us. 
so he could fulfill the curse of the covenant too. The curse of the covenant for breaking it fell on him instead of him. He who knew no sin, he became sin. The Bible said he became the curse. Curse is whatever's hang, death hanging on the tree. He became the curse of the law, fell on this one, and he died on that cross. Now the Bible says, whoever believes in him, watch this. this keep your hands up, man. Stand straight. Look ahead. Don't move. Okay? The Bible says, whoever believes in him, he gives you the right to become children born. This is, Gen uh, this is uh, John 1, 11 and 12. He gives you the right to become children born, not of a human decision, not of a father's will, but born again from above. Praise God, if you believe in Christ, your old nature has been circumcised from your heart, cut out, put inside of the body of Christ, nailed to the cross, dead and buried. You are not your old nature. You're not a sinner. You are born again, and you are now in this line. And for the last 2,000 years, people who are believing are now in this line. Let me tell you something about this line. Dude, because I'm in it. I know about, I've been talking about this line for 30 years. Now here's where churches freak out. Here's where pastors get mad. Here's where religious people can't stand the, the message of his grace. I'm telling you, hallelujah. <laughs> Woo! I'm telling you, you're looking at a man. Praise God, we're going to get into next week and some more after that, deeper about this. I have been given a new nature. I'm not in the line of Adam anymore. I've been born again from above. I am part of a new species, like a new race of people on earth. We are the God people, and they are the Adam people. I'm not mad at the Adam people for sinning. They can't help it. It's in their nature. There's two kinds of people on earth. Those that are in Christ and those that need to be. Amen. I'm not angry at the sinner. How can he help it? It's his nature. If we take a pig from the pig pen out here, while we're in the mud and we bring it in and we get some group to wash that pig up, put some perfume on it, put a you know, gold ring in its ear or its nose, put a ribbon around it, put him up on the altar here and have some kids take a picture with the pig. That pig would be looking good for a little while. But as soon as you let it go out those doors and out those doors, where's it going? Why? Because it's his nature. We can take you through a dozen rehabs. We can put you in religious classes. We can have you join this denomination or that denomination. But religion and rules and regulation and law won't change your nature. It'll only charge you to try to do better yourself. But finally, we need to get to the end of ourselves. And Lord, I can't do it. I can't change. I can't be my own self. That's the first. Lord, save me from myself. Jesus, you became my sin. You died on the cross. I receive what you have done. And we're born. Looking that way, boy. Don't move. Come on, have a little discipline about you.
This is an illustration. It's on video. Now be... All right, thank you. You are a new creation. A new creation. Now, I would say... Thank you. You're doing good. Be strong. Hey, the reason this is so serious, half the church out there is getting error in their teaching. Half the church out there, if you ask them, how righteous are you? Are you righteous? Oh, I'm a filthy, rotten sinner. Oh, the blood of Jesus didn't really wash my sin nature away. It just made me barely in a way to, I might, if I keep trying hard enough, I might make it to heaven. God wants to clarify the truth of his gospel around the world. And he's doing it mightily and rapidly. This is not a new message. Paul preached it 2,000 years ago. And yet somehow the church wants to take Gentiles who have come to Christ and put them back under a Jewish law. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Why do such a thing? He wants the church to know, and this is why pastors, our Fresh Start program works so well. We don't teach people about their sin or how bad they are. We show them the answer, Christ, and after they receive Christ, we start teaching people who they are in Christ, not who they were in Adam. And when you start believing, the Bible says... That we are the righteousness of God. Holy and righteous. Made holy by what he has done. Church, the next few weeks, we're going to take it from here and go deeper into his grace. And explain this in such a way that if you make it here the next four weeks, you will never go back to thinking you're an Adam. You will be liberated and set free to know who you are in Christ and the victory from your faith that's in you will start to overflow to renew your mind and then you'll be able to walk this out knowing who you are. Hallelujah! Now, fellas, I'd get a little carried away. I'm just zealous about this word. Thank you, guys. Let's give them a hand. Y'all can be seated. Yeah. Thank you. Glory to God. Okay. Praise the Lord. Next week, my friend Matt is going to be preaching a message called Tetelestai. Jesus' last words. He teaches this message with me in Africa all over the place. It's amazing. Bring a few friends with you. It doesn't matter if you miss the first two. Bring them with you. We have a media man that's taken these messages. And um, we're recording them. They will edit it them. Thank you for you guys in the back. Let's give them a hand back there. For those of you graduates who are allowed to have a cell phone and stuff, and any guests we have in here, I'll tell you this. You can go to the app store, and there's an app at the River Flows. River Flows, 
And uh, if you get our app, you can go to Go Deep Grace. And we put last message and this message there. And see, we're making a series for these pastors we go to all across Africa. They're getting this word and they're reteaching it in other cities. So not only are we teaching 500 pastors at a whack, but these leaders go back over the messages. They take it to their city and they might teach three or 400 pastors in their city the same thing we taught. And the message is spreading rapidly. I'm not the only one or group that's teaching this. There's thousands and hundreds of thousands of pastors that are knowing this word and teaching it around the world. And the body of Christ is growing in truth. And as we grow in truth, we're going together. And the glory of God's filling the earth. I'm telling you, we're in worldwide revival around the world right now. How's it coming? By the truth. The truth of his word. Bring a family member, bring a friend next week as Matt's going to teach to Telestai. Father, I thank you for this living word. I thank you, Lord God, that you stopped that flow at Adam. Praise God, when Jesus crossed from Sinai, the old covenant, to Zion in the new. I thank you, Lord, that we who believe in you, we have already crossed over from death to life. We already have eternal life. We're not waiting to die to live. We're living now, Lord God. Help us to renew our mind to the truth of who we are in you. In Jesus' name, amen.